Good morning, Alex and friends. I'm Grace. Today is Thursday, January 11, 2024, and you're listening to Alex's News. In today's weather news, Riverside is experiencing a cool day with a high of 58.8 degrees and a low settling at 48.6 degrees. Make sure to dress warmly. Moving to our top stories, calls are intensifying to shut down Guantanamo Bay Prison amid ongoing delays in the trial for the 9-11 attacks. We'll be exploring the legal and political deadlock that continues to draw critical eyes from around the globe. Tragedy struck at Palisades Tahoe Ski Resort where an avalanche claimed the life of one individual and left three others injured. Stay tuned for a full report on the rescue operations and the response from the ski community. And in health news, a revolutionary generation of blood tests is emerging as a hopeful tool for diagnosing Alzheimer's disease. We'll investigate the potential breakthroughs and the significant variability in accuracy that researchers are cautioning. These stories and more are coming up on Alex's News. Stay with us. This morning, the spotlight is on the U.S. military prison at Guantanamo Bay in Cuba. It's been 22 years following its establishment after the 9-11 attacks, and the calls for its closure are growing louder. To break down the complex situation, we're joined by our reporter, Ethan. Ethan, give us the current status of this contentious institution. Good morning, Grace. The current situation at Guantanamo is challenging, to say the least. There are still 30 detainees being held, and as you mentioned, the cries for closure are intensifying. President Biden is under pressure from nearly 100 advocacy organizations, including major players like the Center for Victims of Torture. They've sent a letter directly to the president, urging him to shut the facility down. One key point to note is many of these detainees have never been formally charged with a crime, and more shockingly, the trial for those accused of aiding the 9-11 attacks hasn't even begun. That seems like a significant delay in the justice system, Ethan. Can you elaborate on the specifics of the trial and the defendants? Absolutely, Grace. In the trial that's yet to occur, five defendants, including a man named Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, are being charged with involvement in orchestrating the 9-11 attacks. These charges could lead to the death penalty. They were captured almost two decades ago and, after being detained in secret CIA prisons, were transferred to Guantanamo in 2006. Since then, it's been a series of delays and setbacks, no trial date is set at the moment. Now, I understand President Biden rejected a plea deal proposed by the defendants. What were their conditions, and why were they refused? The plea deal, rejected by Biden, was based on joint policy principles, which included demands such as avoiding solitary confinement and securing necessary medical treatment among other things. Biden sided with Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin's advice not to accept these terms. This decision has, of course, led to additional complications and stalls within an already complex legal proceeding. Ethan, let's touch on some factors contributing to the delay of the trial. What's going on behind the scenes at Guantanamo? There's a myriad of issues, Grace. There have been sweeping legal challenges, starting with the Bush administration's controversial decision not to apply the Geneva Conventions to al-Qaeda detainees, a decision ultimately overruled by the Supreme Court. Changing policies with each administration hasn't helped either. Obama's initial suspension of military commissions and planned closure of the facility were overturned. Furthermore, plea negotiations have been back and forth, with each administration taking a different stance. Lastly, 
the highly sensitive nature of the evidence is causing disputes over what can legally be shown in court. All of this adds layers of complexity and delay to the proceedings. Quite complex. Indeed. I also heard that there was a recent development with one of the defendants? Yes, that's right, Grace. Last September, a military judge declared Ramzi bin al-Sheib mentally incompetent to stand trial, citing post-traumatic stress disorder from his lengthy detention. This puts yet another wrench into the legal machinery as authorities grapple with his mental health needs while he remains at Guantanamo. This sounds like quite the quagmire and a human rights concern. Any speculations on potential implications if things don't change? The implications are serious. Prolonged detention without trial raises significant legal and ethical issues. It questions the credibility of the U.S. justice system and spotlights concerns over human rights abuses. If the facility continues to operate without resolving these cases, it could tarnish the United States' reputation regarding human rights and due process. Ethan, thank you for that comprehensive overview. It's clear the situation at Guantanamo Bay remains a thorny issue for the Biden administration and the international community at large. My pleasure, Grace. As this story progresses, we'll continue to provide updates. That's story one of three that we're following today. Stay with us for more updates. Chloe, we've been following a tragic story coming out of California. An avalanche at the Palisades Tahoe Ski Resort has resulted in one person dead and three others injured. Can you give us the details? Yes, Grace, the avalanche struck Wednesday morning near the KT-22 lift. According to the Placer County Sheriff's Office, the debris field was massive, about 150 feet wide and 450 feet long, and up to 10 feet deep in places. That sounds devastating. Do we have any information on the victims? We do. The deceased was identified as 66-year-old Kenneth Kidd, a beloved local resident of Point Reyes and the Truckee area. The three injured have been treated, with one suffering from a serious leg injury and the others with minor wounds. With these kinds of incidents, people might wonder how something like this could happen, especially with modern technology and safety measures. What's the word on the cause? Well, the region had been dealing with days of heavy snowfall, and despite ongoing avalanche assessments by the ski resort's patrol team, sometimes nature can be unpredictable. ABC News and the Associated Press are reporting that while a clear trigger hasn't been identified, the conditions were ripe for such an event with a considerable avalanche danger forecasted for that day. Can you elaborate on the safety precautions that resorts like Palisades Tahoe typically have in place? Certainly. The resort employs multiple strategies to mitigate avalanche risks, such as controlled explosives to trigger smaller, more controlled avalanches, ski cutting where skiers actually create a disturbance to test snow stability, and constant snow analysis. They also maintain strict closures and advise on personal responsibility for safety. With such comprehensive measures, it's sobering to hear of this fatality. What's the response from the resort been? D. Byrne, the CEO and president of the resort, called the situation, dynamic, and emphasized that an investigation is still underway. They've temporarily closed the mountain entirely to manage the situation and ensure everyone's safety. The Palisades Tahoe Resort is an iconic location, having hosted the Winter Olympics back in 1960. Is this the first kind of incident this winter season? Yes, it's the first avalanche fatality reported in the United States for the 2023-2024 winter season, highlighting the risks that come with heavy snowfall in mountain sports, despite all precautions. With the search concluding without any individuals missing, what's next in terms of the investigation? 
Authorities are focusing on determining the exact cause of this avalanche, and the community is likely going to be reflecting on ways to improve safety measures even further, though it's important to remember that this may have been a natural event that was difficult to predict. It's a heavy reminder of the power of nature, despite our best efforts to prepare. Chloe, thank you for this in-depth report on such a difficult story. Good morning, and thank you for joining us. Here are some other headlines we're following today. In political news, the Republican primary debate stage was a battleground as candidates Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis clashed heads in a fiery exchange. With the Iowa caucuses looming, their heated debate on key issues like immigration, abortion, and the legacy of Donald Trump may shape the race for the second spot in the presidential campaign. Haley's launch of a website called DeSantisLies.com stirred controversy as it shone a spotlight on the bitter rivalry between the two. Critics suggest the site might backfire, while others see it as a bold campaign strategy. DeSantis faced criticism for what some saw as an excessive focus on attacking Haley rather than outlining his own policy proposals. With his more polished demeanor, he still failed to convince some observers of the efficacy of his approach leading to speculation on the long-term impact on his candidacy. Meanwhile, on the international stage, South Africa has charged Israel with committing genocide in Gaza at the International Court of Justice. They allege that Israel's actions during the Gaza War are indicative of genocidal intent, citing the 1948 Genocide Convention. The world watches as the ICJ deliberates with both pro-Palestinian and pro-Israeli demonstrators making their voices heard outside the court. While Israel has firmly denied the claims, the ICJ's decision could have far-reaching implications. Back on the campaign trail, former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie has stepped out of the Republican presidential nomination race. His parting words, critical of his opponents, were inadvertently captured on a live mic, adding to the drama of a turbulent primary season. Despite ending his presidential run, Christie's critiques of Trump and his call to prevent a mirror-hog from leading the party have resonated with some voters, even as his future in politics becomes uncertain. Stay with us for more on these stories as we continue our coverage throughout the day. Turning to our third story, there's been an exciting development in the medical community, a new generation of blood tests that could revolutionize the way we diagnose Alzheimer's disease. Joining us is Ethan, our specialist correspondent on health and science. Ethan, can you give us an introduction to what's happening? Absolutely, Grace. Researchers are developing blood tests that can detect substances related to Alzheimer's disease, specifically those sticky amyloid plaques that accumulate in the brain. It's a significant breakthrough because these tests could replace more invasive procedures, like PET scans and spinal taps, and could help identify patients earlier, improving the efficacy of drugs that target amyloid removal. That sounds promising, Ethan. But how accurate are these tests right now? Well, Grace, the accuracy varies. As reported by John Hamilton from KVCR News, some of these tests demonstrate a remarkable 95% accuracy rate, while others are less reliable, dipping below 80%. It's crucial to distinguish between these different tests because accurate blood tests can prevent misdiagnosis, which are unfortunately common. About one in four patients is currently misdiagnosed with these less accurate tests. With such discrepancy in accuracy rates, what's being done to regulate these tests? That's a good question. Right now, many of these blood tests are marketed as laboratory-developed tests, 
which means they bypass a lot of FDA oversight. This is a concern, considering none has been FDA approved yet. However, the FDA is looking to change that, with proposals to scrutinize these tests more closely, especially since the number of people with Alzheimer's and those at risk is quite substantial in the US. It seems the FDA approval could be a game changer. How might these tests impact the treatment of Alzheimer's with the recent FDA drug approvals? These blood tests are more critical now than ever before, Grace. With the FDA approving drugs like lecanemab, which is designed to slow Alzheimer's progression, identifying the disease in its early stages is imperative. And since these drugs are most effective before the disease has advanced too far, quick and accessible diagnostic methods like blood tests are necessary, given that most doctors can't offer immediate brain scans or spinal taps. But if we're going to rely on these blood tests, what are the key challenges we need to overcome? There are a few, Grace. The blood-brain barrier, which prevents substances in the blood from entering the brain, is one such challenge for blood-based diagnosis. The distress of a positive test result and the uncertainty of the science behind blood tests for Alzheimer's risk or others. These tests need further research, validation, and replication in study findings to become reliable diagnostic tools. Looking ahead, could we see these tests becoming a routine procedure for those above a certain age? It's certainly a possibility. Imagine, like checking blood pressure or cholesterol levels, if a blood test could screen for Alzheimer's at a routine doctor's visit. It would be a massive step forward. But to reach that point, we need more accurate tests to ensure proper diagnosis and treatment. It's not practical if one in four people are incorrectly diagnosed. Very true. Ethan, accuracy is key. Any final thoughts before we wrap up? Only that while we don't yet have a single blood test that stands out as highly accurate across the board, several show great promise. Each test varies in accuracy, and more proof is needed before any of them can be widely used in a clinical setting. It's an exciting time, however, for Alzheimer's research and those potentially affected by the disease. Thank you so much for that comprehensive analysis, Ethan. It's an area that we indeed need to watch closely in the coming years. That's all we have for now. Today's episode was made by Alexander King with GPT-4, GPT-3.5 Turbo, the Perplexity API, and the Google Cloud Text-to-Speech API. I hope you have a great day. I'll see you tomorrow, Alex.